This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. It's a really good team and we had to play really well. That was a good hockey game. It was intense and both teams were disciplined. Um, there were some ebbs and flows to the game with momentum, uh, but it didn't look like either team really changed their approach and what they needed to do to win. It was hard fought. Um, when you're playing a really good team like that and both teams are dialed in, it's, it's going to be a battle. So, and that's what it was. We were, tonight we came out on top. There, that, is, of course, is Avalanche head coach that's Jared almost the Bednar. same thing that John Cooper said after Tampa beat the Astros. <laughs> almost the same yeah. thing. Both teams dialed in. We happen to come out on top this time. But it could have gone the other way. And it, it, it's, it's very interesting that in two out of the last three games, a winning coach, two different guys, have said almost word for word the same thing, that the game was so good that either team could have won it and Tampa was just a little bit better than the Avs, and the Avs were a little bit better than Vancouver last night. Well, the man who asked that question now joins us, covering the Avalanche for NHL.com. If you've uh, followed the Avalanche for a long time, you have absolutely read the work of one Ryan Bolding. And Ryan uh, joins us today. Uh, thanks for for the time, Ryan. R. Bolding, uh, B-O-U-L-D-I-N-G, on social and uh, th- thanks for the time, Ryan. I really do uh, appreciate it. Not only because you and I are going to host the watch party for the Avs and Red Wings tomorrow down at number 38 in Rhino. And it's funny, we we have ended up uh, uh, talking here and there a bunch of times, but we've never actually done anything like this together. So I'm really looking forward to it. But I guess we'll ask you first about that Avs performance. Uh, if it was not the Avs' best win of the year, it had to be up there. And some of it was the fact that the defense was better, the team looked more focused, they were locked in. Has this been a problem when you look at the season? Have the Avs occasionally been guilty of sleepwalking through parts of this campaign? Yeah, thanks for having me on. And I think that is a great first question. I do feel like this team has been guilty of sleepwalking through parts of the season. I think there's still this Stanley Cup hangover type of moment, right, where, you know, the team knows what it takes to win. It's a long slog through the regular season. You've got to get in, and that's where you can do the damage. And so you've kind of got to do the time, right? You've got to play these games. You've got four or five games against Arizona, which have proven to be tougher than I think many expected. You know, you've got all these other games to get through to get to the playoffs. And so I can't even fault the guys at times for not being 100% there mentally or 100% there physically. But then you have this all-star break. You have this bye week. You have a team that's kind of notorious for starting poorly after kind of prolonged breaks during the season. And they came out of the gate not great on that road trip. They went one and four. Um, Things weren't really going the way that they wanted. And so they start to tighten it up here this week. And then you get this big game against Vancouver, the top team in the West, you know, a really potent offense, a really lethal power play, great goaltending. Yep. And uh, like Jared Bednar said, for most of this game, it was intense. It was everything you want. It was low scoring. It was 2-1 until there was an empty netter. Yep. You know, th- this game had a playoff feel to it. Most definitely. And my question, our question, uh, probably your question too, over the last couple of months anyway the 2024 portion of this season has been can the, can the abs win that kind of game can they win a 2-1 game and there was no evidence even the, prior to the all-star break when they were going pretty well 13-3 and 1 there weren't many if any 2-1 games in, in there they were higher scoring games and uh, you know it, it, 
even since the the All Star break, and you know they're three, four, and one now. Until last night, you know they to win they had to get four. On Sunday they had to get four. You gave up three. Uh, there there have been games you know during the course of the season where they've given up four and had to get five, six, seven goals to feel comfortable. And and last night I thought they were comfortable being uncomfortable and. There was nothing spectacular about the way anybody played, but I, I think to a man, this is the first time in weeks, maybe even months, that I've seen everybody just do what they're supposed to do, and then Johansson gets a couple of nice bounces and gets a goal for the first time in 2024, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, I, <laughs> And he gets two of I them. Mean, in one night. Yeah, it's crazy. You're totally right there. I mean, we're, we're all seeing the same thing, right? This is a team that loves a horse race. But what's, what's that mean? It means that the defense is breaking down. It means yeah. that the goaltending hasn't been good. It means right. that there's this over-reliance on the top line uh-huh. to get things done. And, and what you see last night, it, as important as Ryan Johansson getting a goal or two goals and, and really getting moving, it's been, that was his 21st game there where he finally got one. Yeah. It was December 29th right. he scored his last goal. Right. As important as that was, what you saw were two teams going toe-to-toe and, and shutting down each other's best. Yep. And when that happens, you need the other guys to step up. And you got that from a guy who hasn't been as reliable as the team had hoped for a long time. And you like to see that. And you also saw Georgiev at, at kind of his pinnacle, yep. you know, um, as, as good as he can be. I mean, he had a sequence of saves there. Sam Gerrard stops that puck in the third period and, and somebody sends it. Now it's a lofty pass. Like it's probably moving three, four miles an hour. It's just a floater, but he's sitting on his butt and makes the, you know, a backhanded glove save to keep that puck out of the net. Like that's, that's a goalie that is locked into it. The point there with, with Georgiev, and we talked about this a little bit, Ryan, before you came on, is that I, I look back at the cup, the Avs one with Darcy Kemper in that, and I think Georgiev is a better goaltender than Darcy Kemper, but it, it is the kind of goaltender you can win a, a cup with, and, and there are a couple ways you can do it. You can either have the Patrick Waz of the world who can, if you need 50-plus saves, he can do it. Most guys aren't Patrick Waugh. They're, they're not that kind of goaltender, but you can win with guys that if you can limit the shots to 30 or so that he's going to give you a chance to win games. Georgiev, I think, is that kind of guy. The problem for the Avs, what's the bigger one? The way that they have played defense in front of them or the fact that there is no reliable backup that Jared Bednar seems to trust? Yeah, I mean, flip a coin to what's more important to you, right? I mean, I think the backup goaltender is a problem in the future that, you know, is coming to roost now. So that's going to be a problem when Georgiev is too tired when the playoffs hit because he's outpaced the league and starts in minutes. Um, But that's not necessarily the problem right here and now. It just needs a fix sooner than later. I think the real problem is the defensive aspect of it. And it it kind of, it it goes up and down the lineup. Like there are, you know, mental breakdowns and brain farts that happen. I mean, you look at the, the goal that JT Miller scored last night I mean, he just goes real wide, gets lost. All of a sudden, Jonathan Druin turns his head, sees him. Well, he's cut behind Druin. He's cut behind the defense. He's on a breakaway. He scores a goal. Right. What are you going to do? Um, another issue, I think, and what's funny is you, you talk about shots. I feel like every time I'm writing a post-game recap, I'm like, wow, the other team really 
didn't have that many shots. Like you almost rarely see over 30 shots against, which is really impressive. But the problem is high danger chances, high, yeah. high scoring yeah. chances, and those things are going in. And then some rebounds. I mean, yeah. Georgiev gave up some juicy rebounds in that game last night and got bailed out by defense, made the second save in a sequence. You know, it feels like more and more in this league you're seeing good goaltending that can make the first stop, but then they need the, the reliability of their teammates to clear that puck out and do something with it. Like, they're not eating pucks up. They're not necessarily making three, four, five save sequences. I mean, it happens, and it's always impressive when it does. But the rebound issue, I think, is one of the biggest problems. I couldn't agree more. I, I think your assessment is right on. Um, this has kind of become my standard question. Um, and I'm, you know, from the avalanche point of view, maybe it's a good standard question to, uh, be asking these days, but, uh, are we seeing a Bo Byram revival as he stacked together a sufficient number of good games back to back to back to back, maybe to warrant a, a sense that, uh, uh, maybe, uh, toward the tail end of that road trip, he started to come on. And uh, word was that he had a sit-down with Nolan Pratt and then went out later that day and played his best game of the year. And it does seem that it's been three or four games now where he's been very good. And last night was yet another one, although he didn't have a goal or an assist. He was plus one in almost 16 and a half minutes of ice time. I love this question, Sandy. I love it. First, I have to point out, this is Bo Byram's fourth season in the league, and he has played the most games in this season of any single season of his career. at 49 games. And you ask him, and he is not happy about that fact. This is a guy that's had head injury issues, concussion issues. He's had lingering health issues. Remember, this team went to uh, Europe and played in in Finland, and he was a late scratch in the second of back-to-back games and then didn't play for like a month or more, two months maybe. He had some some serious physical issues that he had to work through. So he's not thrilled about how long it's taken him to, to get games under his belt in this league, and he'll be the first to admit that to you. And the second thing about this season in particular is that he got moved off of his natural side on the left hand to the right hand side of the ice. And he's played there for almost every game this season. He has. Now, there have True. Been some Especially when he was with Gerard. It was all the time yeah. with Gerard. Exactly. And he's had some bad stretches. And you could go and talk to him, and he's very open. I've had very great one-on-one conversations with him that I haven't even recorded because I'm just asking him, like, how hard is it for you to adjust to the right side? And he'll go, I think it's pretty obvious how, how bad I've been over there. It hasn't <laughs> yes. worked. And, he's, and you ask him, like, is it, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it just that it's not clicking? You know, is it reads? One time he was talking to me about how hard it is to adjust your game to catching pucks up the boards on your backhand right. and having to, to make that transition. You're, he said, you're always playing then with the play behind you, with your back turned on the play, and that makes it challenging. Now he's had some stretches on the left-hand side, and that's when everybody's like, oh, there's the bone Byram we know and love and have come to respect. Why isn't he like this all the time? And that's part of the the thing that I think has been plaguing him. And so not only has this most recent stretch been one of his best, but it's also maybe that turning point of playing on the right side has clicked for him. And he's comfortable. He's confident. He knows what he needs to do. 
He's moving his feet. He's making plays. He's doing all of those things. The addition of Zach Parise, obviously you know that he's, he's getting older, but that's fine. A lot of teams have had great luck with veterans at that final push. Parise seems like he's been pretty seamless. Does the addition of Parise and the presumed return of Valeri Nachushkin mean that the Avalanche don't need to look at least heavily into reinforcing their forward depth, or do you think there's still a hold that's going to need to be addressed at the trade deadline before that March 8th date? That's a good one. I think uh, we've talked to Jared Bednar. His ideal third line is Miles Wood, Ross Colt, and Logan O'Connor, right? Those guys can yes. play up as needed. I think Miles Wood has been great, especially on the road trip. He was playing very well. Yeah, he was one of the few position. played well. Throughout the trip, Ross Colton has brought a lot of energy. Um, the team is missing Logan O'Connor. I mean, this is a guy, he's having one of the best years of his career. I right. talked to him earlier about it. He's like, things are just clicking. I've been around the league long enough now. He knows what he needs to do in the offseason. But he's played on the top line and produced, you know. So the team is missing him. But what that is, that's a great third line. And you want that as a third line. And the real deficiency of this team has been a second-line center. Since Nazem Kadri left, there have been stop gaps. You know, they've tried multiple things. Evan Rodriguez, JT Comfer, Ryan Johansson. They just need a reliable second line guy. You know, you need a guy where Arturi Lekkonen is playing second line minutes and Val- Valeri Nichushkin or Jonathan Druin are swapping in and out playing second right. line minutes with a solid center. And you can't have Ross Colton, Miles Wood, Logan O'Connor playing that because you need them on the third line. Yes. I even I think agree. last night the fourth line was probably the worst that we've seen it in some time. Yeah, and this yeah, is the line I, I usually like Andrew Cogliano most yeah. games, and it just wasn't working. The old Kiviranta, I mean, he came out and had a couple of good games right when he got when he signed, and, and now you're just like, I'm not really sure how, how much you're contributing out there. So I do think the forward depth – is a question for this team, and and that's part of the reason why. Well, you've read him at the Denver Post. You've read him at the Athletic. You've read him over at uh, the Avalanche's own website now, covering the ass for NHL.com. He is Ryan Bolding uh, tomorrow. Will you talk about you know trying to blend lines and bringing in new people? Like I said, you and I have, have never actually – this is the first thing we've actually ever done live together, amazingly. But we'll have an opportunity to go out to number 38 tomorrow. We'll have the watch party out there for the Avs Red Wings. There'll be some giveaways. We'll be talking about the, the game uh, after the game as well. So fans want to come up and ask questions and uh, we'll involve that as well. So I- I'm looking forward to working with you. I think it's going to be a ton of fun down at number 38 tomorrow. Yeah, I can't wait. I like to think of myself as a solid third line center. That's really adaptable to the wings around me. I can take those changes in stride, right? So I'm ready to go. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm with Sandy here, so I'm clearly second line, but we'll, we'll, may, we'll find a way to make it work. Uh, looking forward to it. You can follow Ryan on social at rbolding, B-O-U-L-D, ING and catch us tomorrow the face off at 5 p.m. Obviously, it is in Detroit, the road game. I will have a live DJ giveaways. There's picture specials, and it's going to be a ton of fun for all Avs fans. Come on out and check it in Rhino number 38. Ryan Bolding, I will see you tomorrow, and hopefully, a lot of our listeners will as well. Thanks for the time. Thanks, guys. All right. Ryan Bolding joining us there, and we'll hopefully have him on a little more often as well because he's covered the league from a lot of different perspectives. And it, it I, It's interesting, Sandy, that we're getting the same thing. I do think that a backup goaltender is critical. If the Avs have genuine cup aspirations. But there is no doubting when you're talking to Arif Dean of Miley Sports, when you're talking 
to Kyle Fredrickson of the Gazette, when you're talking to Ryle Bolding of NHL.com, they're all saying the same thing. This team still needs a second-line center. And that is going to be a lot harder to get in the next couple of weeks than a backup goaltender. I agree with that. It, it will be quite a bit harder. And it is clear, boy, your ideal third line is Colton Wood You've got and it. O'Connor. And you got Lekkanen and Nishushkin when he and comes they need back. Someone in between second them. line, you need somebody in between. And it's just I don't think he's on the, the roster. Johansson, has, just, yeah. uh, Johansson doesn't have enough in the tank. Uh, Wagner, I, I I did not like Wagner with Olofsson and Caliano last night. I did not like them. Bednar didn't like him either. Uh, they got between six minutes, 47 seconds, and 8.48 of ice time. Uh, Cogliano, I'm fine with on the uh, fourth line, just not with those two guys. Well, we'll find out. The Avs get back at it tomorrow. They hit the road after that big win last night over Vancouver. Something that maybe, maybe that springboards them here. Yeah. I mean, maybe... Uh, playing like that gets the energy they need. The Evs are still in very good position. Keep in mind tonight, by the way, college basketball, number yes. 22, Colorado State, going to the pit, taking on New Mexico. 8 p.m., ESPN. Uh, yeah, a very important game uh, tonight. Make sure you check that out. We will talk about that tomorrow as well. I will be out at number 38, as we mentioned. Come say hello. Thanks to Ryan Bolding for joining us. Danny Bailey's in the booth making everything work. I'm going to step aside because it's Wellness Wednesday, and that means Sandy Clough gets to sit down with Dr. Rick Perea from ThinkWorkForYou.org. Talk about the NFL Combine. Get your checkup from the neck up with Dr. Rick next on My Life Sports. Welcome once again to Wellness Wednesday, our weekly checkup from the neck up. I'm Sandy Clough. Dr. Rick Perea is sitting to my left. We can be heard every Wednesday afternoon at 5.30 on Mile High Sports Radio and, of course, available anytime via podcast at milehighsports.com. Dr. Perea, our first post-Super Bowl show yep. Yep. of 2024. Uh, We'll get to that in just a second, but I first want to uh, start with a concept that I know you've wanted to talk about for a while, and it is a concept that is labeled locus of control. There is an internal dimension and an external dimension, and we'll get to how that applies to perhaps Super Bowl 58 and the outcome on Sunday, Um, maybe tied into a few other Uh, recent sporting events as well, but uh, explain the difference when it comes to locus of control between internal and external. Yeah. So it's a psychological construct that we've used in performance psychology over the last 25 years. And locus of control means internally, when you have a high level of locus control means you attribute success and failure to what you can control. And that's why you call it a locus of control. It's a center of control. Um, There's a lot of performers, a lot of athletes in the world that relegate performance to external factors, Um, weather, opponent, um, things that they don't have 100% control of. And that's an external locus of control. So someone who has a high internal locus of control means they have a high level of internal calmness and we call that the parasympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system like if you look at the super bowl and we'll talk about that in a minute 
teams approach those games differently. Some of them have an internal locus of control and some of them have an external locus of control. And we find that the ones that have an external locus of control don't have as much success because they don't view themselves of having 100% control over the outcome that day. Can that change during the course of a game? Not just the Super yes. Bowl, but in any given game yes. where perhaps you have internal that becomes external and vice versa. Right, yeah. Terms of momentum, turnovers, uh, change of weather, um, change of strategy. You know, you see teams make adjustments at halftime and there's a complete change in, or flip in the game. So, yeah, internal and external control is fluid throughout anyone's brain, but also in their performance out on the field, pool, or wherever they are. People talk about momentum a lot and don't yeah. particularly define it. Right. But this is what, in your opinion, yeah. momentum consists of. 100%. Right? Yeah. yeah. Going from one to the other. Yeah. You know, it's funny because people will say, let's just use the Super Bowl, for example. Well, okay, Kansas City got momentum in the second half. Okay, momentum doesn't start in the quads. It doesn't start in the chest. It doesn't start in the triceps. It starts in the brain. It starts in your ability to believe that you have a certain amount of control over what's going to happen. And then the external locus of control, that's where you lose momentum, that you don't have as much control. But that all starts in the brain. It doesn't start physically. When people talk about a team having momentum, it's not physical momentum. It can become that, but it starts in the brain from the neck up. Travis Kelsey's confrontation with Andy Reid on the sideline <laughs> yeah. of the first half. Um, we're talking uh, here for the first time this week, obviously, on Wednesday. Well, yeah. it's Wednesday and all of that. What was up with that? Kelsey has now kind of come clean. He did a podcast with his brother, a right. podcast that they do together, which is a riot, yeah. by the way. And Jason Kelsey, Travis's brother, said, you stepped over the line right there. Oh, good. And good. Travis Kelsey said, yeah, I did. And for the first time, talked about what happened and that he lost his locus of control, perhaps. Yeah. He didn't yeah, he say did. locus of control. Right, right. But that's what happened there, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and I think we can break it down to this. When you look at Travis Kelsey in the way that he plays, he really plays what's called an H-back. It's not – you call it a yeah, tight end. the old H-back. Yeah, but it's an H-back. Dan Reeves popularized yeah, here yeah. in the early 80s when you were yeah. in and, training camp. Yeah, and so when we look at the, what he does on per play, he's very free – to run different patterns. You know, we have a lot of different descriptions of patterns, a go route, a sluggo, a 10-yard out, a, a, a skinny post, whatever you want to call them. He runs around. He just runs around and spins around, hooks, curls, all these different angles. And Mahomes seems to read him. And he finds him. And they they basically play sandlot ball to get him open in, in, in the 10 and under call. When they go mid-depth or led long depth, then they do set you some, some schemes – um, but he's very free willing. And so he carries that element of control or lack of control to the sidelines too. He thinks he has a say in determining in personnel groups. And that's what happened. He that's what happened. He, he wasn't, wasn't in the game. He wasn't included in the personnel group when they fumbled the ball. And so he, he decided to externalize and express yeah. that to Andy Reid, which really was inappropriate and immature. And I think looking back on it now, he would understand that. But he needs to have a higher level of locus control, uh, internal locus of control, because he's very externally driven when you watch him out on the field and off the field as well. 
we talk about this all the time, coach and quarterback interactions, players interacting with coaches on the sidelines. I don't know. Maybe there are more cameras now. Yeah. That's what Andy Reid ended up telling Travis Kelsey. You know there are cameras on me all the time. Right. So when you approach me like that, it's it's yeah. it's going to be noticed. Yeah. It's not although CBS tried its best seemingly to ignore it. Right. Uh, it it is going to get noticed because the coach is on camera uh, all the time. There seems to me, and I want you to tell me, mm-hmm. you, you're younger than I am, but not by that uh, much. Not by that much. <laughs> uh, I don't remember years and years ago as many confrontations on the sidelines. Now, mm-hmm. maybe there were and there weren't as many cameras yeah. to catch it. Do, do you think that whatever reasons there may be, there's more of that today, that players feel that they can do something like that even with a head coach during the course of play yeah i think i think it happens more regularly now i really do there are more cameras cameras. no there are more cameras there are more angles of covering it but i do think it happens more i i really do it it reminds me as you were saying that sandy reminded me of training camp 1983 when john elway was a rookie and i was a rookie in training camp and we were walking off the field in the morning practice and John's dad, Jack, had come to practice. And apparently, I didn't know because I played defense, you know, we were kind of sheltered from it. But apparently, John and, and Dan had already been going through some disagreements. And I, all I know is I remember we're walking off the field and I hear Dan Reeves yelling, what if everybody called their dad from training camp and told him they were pissed off? And it was John Hadel, our quarterback coach, Dan Reeves, Jack Elway, and John Elway, because apparently what had happened, we found out afterwards, <clears throat> you know, when John was in college at Stanford, he, he used his feet a lot to make plays. He broke pocket. Well, Dan wanted him to sit in the pocket. So they got into a lot of riffs about that. And so it happened then, very, very, you know, visual and verbal. So I think it's been happening, but not at the rate it is now. I think there's a lot less uh, structure and accountability on teams than there used to be. And I think some of the athletes growing up haven't been held accountable on their teams at the high school, college level leading up into the pros. So I do think it's both. More cameras and there's less accountability of structure and discipline with the athletes coming up. Because I can tell you one thing. If My son even brought this up, Keegan. He said if he would have done that to Woody Hayes, he would have got his – butt kicked if he'd have done that to Nick Saban you know you know there's guys you just don't do that to and um you know Andy Reid I think handled it well it's the middle of the game you know what are you gonna do but um yeah I think it's happening more regularly now and that's one of the challenges I run into when I work with my coaches is helping them understand how to reach today's athlete uh, that is a real challenge. Yes. Isn't it? Yes, Because there is a difference. It isn't just a bunch of old men sitting around pining for the good old days. Right. Coaches had all the authority and all mm-hmm. the control and the players didn't make as much as they should have made then. Yeah. And obviously not nearly as much uh, as they make now. Uh, on the other side of this, explain Patrick Mahomes mm. to me. Yeah, from a psychological point of view. We all see he plays a style that I, I don't know that any other quarterback right. has ever played before. I'm yeah. not saying he's the best quarterback of all time, right. although he ain't far from it, right. it seemed to me. <laughs> uh, but I'm saying there's no 
quarterback to whom you can compare him. Right. You could compare Elway to other quarterbacks. You could compare Montana to other quarterbacks. You could even compare Brady to other quarterbacks. I don't know how you'd compare Mahomes to anybody else. Yeah. And that's from a physical standpoint. Is that also true psychologically? Yes. He just seems unflappable, whether he's playing well or not. Yeah. You can't tell. Yeah. Well, here's, here's something I think that happens. Like I just brought up John Elway a few minutes ago. So the Denver Broncos, 1983, four, five, six, tried to make Elway into a pocket passer. Right. Okay. He would have loved to been a pocket passer, but if there's nothing there, break pocket, make a play, extend the play with his feet. But they, the scheme didn't call for that. Okay. The diff. So then John Elway go undergoes a lot of emotional and psychological distress because he's like, man, they're not, they're not adhering or, or you know, they're scheming. not playing to my skill set. Right. You're right. And so there's some emotional and psychological stress that comes along with that. Now, fast forward to Patrick Mahomes. The NFL has changed. The paradigm of the NFL has changed of how we look at quarterbacks. You know, 1983, we wanted a kid that was 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", stood in the pocket, had a strong arm, was very good cerebrally. They could make, you know, reads. That was the prototypical quarterback. But today it's very different. We've understood that athleticism is going to help. You know, people, there's four or five quarterbacks around the league now that are very good, just as good with their feet as they are with their arms. Patrick Mahomes is the beneficiary of a paradigm that has changed from the neck up. And this is what I mean. So he makes throws that are really unconventional. He'll be breaking pocket. If there's a guy in front of him, he'll lean, he'll throw a sidearm. He'll throw passes like this. He'll dump them off. If that would have happened in 1983, he would have been pulled from a game. That would have been looked upon as un, not fundamental, risky, not appropriate you know, behavior for a quarterback in terms of turnover possibilities. And now it's okay. The paradigm has shifted because – He's more athletic. People know that he can break pockets, sprint out right, throw back across the field to the left, which used to be an absolute no-no. If a quarterback would have thrown back across the field, man, if they would have not been pulled out of the game, they would have been chastised on the sideline. Don't you ever do that because there's a possibility of an interception. But Patrick Mahomes is the beneficiary of the shift in the paradigm that we have some more athletic quarterbacks that can make throws sidearmed, unba- uh, un- you know, off balance, in the grasp of a defender. You know, someone's getting ready to make a sack and he just pitches it out to a running back, you know, that breaks loose. And so we really are operating under a different era than we did before. And that really benefits a quarterback that is as diversely talented as a Patrick Mahomes. He is such, I mean, he's, he's, he's athletic. I get that, but his balance and then his perceptual values from the neck up. You're right. You know why he's so calm is because he has a high level of an internal locus of control. He knows that they've given him a green light. You know, if the pocket, if, if they're not open, break pocket, break pocket, find your guy, find 87, find five, find your guys. And he's allowed to do that quarterbacks weren't allowed to do that in 1983 and that's where the paradigm has shifted fascinating and it's also true that at least during the regular season and it showed up here and there in the playoffs but they reduced the number of drops they had from the season but the season saw kansas city drop more passes than Mm -hmm. any other team less influenced by others 
even when they were dropping passes, yeah. he found a way to get better as the season went on. They Absolutely. still kept dropping passes, yeah. but they were sluggish there in the middle of the year, right. including the week they came in here into Denver and lost. Yep. And they turned it around. Yeah. And they turned it around. I want to ask you about this too. Andy Reid said after the game, the biggest game for us this year was Christmas Day when we got licked by the Raiders. <laughs> yeah. In fact, he said he had texted during the week Antonio Pierce to tell him, great practice facility here. We yeah. appreciate uh, all that you've done with it. Uh, it's been ideal for us. And oh, by the way, thanks for kicking our tail on Christmas <laughs> Day because it galvanized our team. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, there's beauty in the struggle. I mean, there's got to be some kind of struggle for you to overcome that and really train the brain, the neural pathway that we're going to overcome those obstacles. As you know, I've mentioned it here before. There's a performance model. It's form, storm, norm, and perform. And you got to storm before you norm or perform. And, you know, Kansas City got their butt kicked by the Broncos, too. And there were, there were a few games where they got their butt kicked pretty good. And it made people look within. But here's the other thing I give the credit to the coaches, the offense coordinator, quarterback coach for Patrick Mahomes, because they didn't panic. They didn't sit there and say, hey, you can't make those risky throws. They just kept coaching him up. He kept playing, and they allowed him allowed him to develop. Patrick Mahomes, again, is the beneficiary of a paradigm shift in the NFL. And, you know, likewise, the same thing on the other side of the ball, defense. Defenses are more flexible with how they allow – gap responsibility to to be deployed you know back in the day you had abcd gap and uh, you had certain people responsible now there's there's an inversion you can trade gaps you can communicate out on the field to trade those gaps and we never had that in our day if you didn't if you if you had c gap and you weren't in c gap you're coming out of the game so it's really the paradigm shift has influenced the whole nfl from the neck up it's a calmer less punitive place from the neck up in the NFL than it was 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me as you talk of uh, what used to be true in basketball where there are positions in yeah. certain places they used to call yep. forwards corner men. Right. <laughs> and if they didn't operate out of the corner, they were doing something wrong. Wingers in hockey, left wing, yep. up and down the left side. You didn't crisscross. Yeah. You just stayed on yep. your wing. At right wing, same thing. Yep. And that obviously has changed. Now we talk about positionless basketball and hockey where three forwards interchange all the time. And if you don't know by their uh, identification on the score sheet, you have no idea who's the center, who's the left wing, who's the right wing. They're right. almost interchangeable yeah. parts that way. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, the Super Bowl in greater detail in just a moment. But first, more on Dr. Rick Perea. As you know by now, I'm sure he is one of the premier performance psychologists in the country. To me, he's the best. Uh, check up from the neck up. That's what we get every Wednesday here on Wellness Wednesdays. And yet, uh, Rick Perea does a lot more than podcasts like this one. He is, of course, the former psychologist for the world champion Broncos back in 2015. Shortly thereafter, he worked with the Rockies for a time as uh, they were uh, embarking on a two-year mission of making the playoffs, which they did. Yes, believe it or not, the Rockies back in 17 and 18 made the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. They have been in the playoffs more recently than the Broncos have been. And, uh, Dr. Puri also worked with the current world champions, the Denver Nuggets. But most importantly, he helps middle and high school performers to reach 
peak levels. So whether you go about your business on an everyday basis at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look them up at Dr. P at think1number4u.org. That's think1number4u.org. I had the feeling in watching the game, and I try to think like you do now, um, and I want to know if you thought the same thing. I'm watching the game, and I'm pulling for the 49ers mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I'd like to see uh, Kyle Shanahan get a ring. Mm-hmm. His father has a couple. I'd like yep. to see Kyle get one, and I'm convinced that he still will at some point uh, get at least one uh, Super Bowl. But when it was 10-3 to 3 at halftime, I had a very queasy feeling about it, mm-hmm. that it should have been more. And my question to you is, do such thoughts occur to players? So the 49ers sitting there during a very long Super Bowl halftime, which right. you've experienced before sure. personally, sure. Yep. and think, boy, we should be up oh, yeah. 16 to 3, 17 to 3 at least, yeah. and we're only up 7. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and that could lead to deficit thinking. Like, you know, we have asset and deficit thinking. And when you say we should be up 17 to three, we should be up 20 to three, whatever it may be, you're focusing on the shoulds, coulds, would'ves. Focus on asset thinking. Like what, what are we going to do in the second half? Let's control the things we can control. Let's be in a higher level of internal mm-hmm. locus of control so that we can take care of this game. People who think about what could go wrong instead of what we're going to do get into that level of negativity on that sympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system, which is the negative side. And so what we teach athletes is we only speak about process, not outcome. Stop looking at the scoreboard. It doesn't matter if it's 10 to 3, 20s. It doesn't really matter. We focus on process. We focus on my footwork and technique. That's it, footwork and technique. And when I focus on that, I have 100% control over that, okay? I may not be able to block that guy. I may be able to tackle him. But I can control my footwork and technique. And when you focus on process, anxiety goes down. You're on the auto, you know, on the, on the parasympathetic side of the autonomic. And then really anything becomes possible. We saw the Detroit Lions have a big lead taken away because they focused on outcome. They didn't focus on process. Mm-hmm. I have two clients with that team, and they said they were at halftime talking all about what we got to do to get this result. Just focus on process. First drive, we got to score. Second drive, defense got to stop them. And the way we stop them on defense is, guess what? Footwork and technique. It's still fundamental, Sandy. We we talk about scheme and offense and all these complex offenses and defenses, but it comes down to blocking and tackling. And the way you block and the way you tackle is footwork and technique. So it's ironic that we can get as complex as we want but even emotionally and mentally, it still comes down to process. And that's a simple side of mental enhancement. I thought San Francisco had a terrific game defensively, even with what happened at the end. I thought Nick Bosa played one of the best games I've ever seen. He was on fire. Play. He, he was on fire. Pressures. Ten yeah, pressures. Yeah, he, he had a whole other giddy up to his right. get off. Right. But the magic number to me in that game was 13. That was the mm. number of possessions that the 49ers gave Patrick Mahomes. Yep. 13. There you go. And sooner or later, he's going to figure it out. Yeah. And I got the feeling that they understood that as the game went on. They had two turnovers from Kansas City. Mm-hmm. They didn't do anything with either one of them. Right. Yeah. So those turnovers almost ended up, because San Francisco didn't take advantage of them, being at least psychologically maybe, 
a net plus for Kansas City. Absolutely. They turned it over twice. Absolutely. Once on their own end of the field. Yeah. San Francisco didn't score a point. Yeah. Well, and think about this. So, like, when when you recover a fumble, you have a plus turnover against a team. Right. It's usually a jovial feeling. When you have a minus turnover against a team, you see nonverbals. I saw where Shanahan said, oh, my gosh, after that fumble, uh, one of the fumbles and one of the turnovers. And players Was that after that. McCaffrey's fumble? Yeah. 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 And, and it's, the players see that. And oh, they yeah. do say, yeah. again, back to deficit thinking, oh, man. We should have done something with that fumble. We should have converted to a touchdown. We should well, have converted. Sure, first series right. of the game kind of set the tone. But again, you get back on that deficit side of thinking, it gets you on that sympathetic side, which is the stressful side of the autonomic. External locus of control will, will haunt you. It will hurt you as a team. It will hurt you as an individual. When you're on the internal locus of control, you have a strong sense of self. We can accomplish this. We're going to accomplish this. So how we talk to our brain, Sandy, throughout a, a match, a, a game, our life, how we talk to ourselves is going to be a, a big manifestation on what happens and what the result is. Kansas City's won three Super Bowls in five years, and they're looking for more. Right after the game, even, they were talking about, we're going to try to do what no one has ever done before and win three Super yeah. Bowls in a row. Never happened right. yeah. before. The Broncos had a chance to do it in 1999, uh, but they were trying to do it without John Elway. And uh, it turns out with uh, a good number of players yeah. hurt early the following yeah. season, that's the, the way the game goes sometimes. It's never happened before. Not even the great dynasty teams won three in a row. Pittsburgh won two in a row. Then a couple of years off, and they came back and won two in a row. But nobody's yeah. ever won three in a row. They're talking about it right after the game. How does San Francisco respond if you were advising the 49ers mm -hmm. individually, collectively, sure. whatever, third oldest team in the league, and the haunting notion that during the last five years, they've had two cracks at it. Mm -hmm. They had 10-point leads in both games. Yeah and lost both games. In fact, on Sunday, they had a 10-point lead at the half. Yeah. They had the lead with two minutes to go in regulation, inside of two minutes to sure. go in regulation. And they had the lead in the overtime period, and they still lost the game. I dare say they may go down in history as the only Super Bowl team mm -hmm. to have a double-digit lead at the half, yeah. a lead inside of two minutes to go in the game, and a lead in the overtime, yeah. and still lose the game. Yeah. What do you tell them uh, or do you just allow maybe a few weeks to pass without no. saying anything to them so that they can, as they say, and this is a cliche I'm guessing you hate, lick their proverbial wounds? Yeah, no, we're not licking anything. We have a culture by design, not default. Teams that lick their wounds, they have a culture by default. We have a culture by design, and what we're going to do is this. We're not going to try to do anything first. We remove that word try out of our, out of our vocabulary. We do things. And what we're going to do, we're, we're in a great spot. I'm going to borrow a page out of John Elway's psychology. We're, we have them right where we want them. Okay, we have the rest of the NFL right where we want them. We're knocking on the door. So what? We didn't knock it down. We will this year. We're, we're primed to get there. We know what it takes to get here. We will get here again. And this time we will win. We will take care of the prize. But you've got to frame your thoughts. you got to shape your thoughts or else your thoughts will shape you. You know, one of the things Dan Campbell said after their loss that I 
did not like. And he says, it's going to be twice as hard to get back here. No, it's not. It will be if you think it is. But if you <laughs> if you don't think it is, it, it'll be as hard as you think it is. And we get to shape our thoughts every day, Sandy. And that's the beauty about what I do for a living is I teach people to help shape their thoughts so their thoughts don't shape them. Well, uh, it's been fascinating. Again, thank you. The last uh, thirty fun. minutes or so, uh, we've enjoyed it, and uh, we'll get into some other things uh, uh, more localized, uh, perhaps in uh, the next few weeks. We've got uh, uh, the hockey season and the basketball season well past the halfway mark, and in uh, college basketball, actually, we have uh, at least one school and maybe, maybe two, perhaps going to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say happy Valentine's Day to you and Thank to everybody you. out there. I have my uh, my my, my lips on here and my hearts and roses in commemorative of Valentine's yeah. Day. And just want to tell everybody to go out and love somebody today. All right. On that note, that is our uh, final word for this particular edition of Wellness Wednesday, our checkup from the neck up. We'll see you next week right back here on Mile High Sports.